We are here on Press Club. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific, we bring together journalists, experts, and subjects in the news to talk about the big stories of the week. And there couldn't be a bigger story than companies finally starting to actually reopen their offices and go back to work. But some people don't even want to go back. I'm not sure I want to go back. I personally really enjoy getting to go and pester my wife in between Zoom calls. And so I don't know if I really want to go back to the office, but it's something that is so important for the kind of spontaneous collaboration that I think high technology, startups, and the future of work really need. And so I brought together some of my favorite thinkers, top employers in San Francisco and the Bay Area tech scene, as well as some of the leading thinkers about how offices reopen safely and the transmission of COVID. And so I'm excited to start us off by just going around and I would love for each of the speakers to talk a little bit, uh, starting with the the company leaders, about what is it actually going to look like when we start to go back? What is it going to look and feel like on those first days? And maybe you could just sort of paint us that picture. And so, Brett, maybe you could start us off with what's going to be happening with Salesforce. Thanks, Josh. I am a big believer that the future of the office for a lot of companies is going to be flexible. Um, just to put some stats on it. So we survey, we have about 60,000 employees around the world. We survey them regularly. And in June, only about 23% of our employees wanted to return to the office. Um, recently, we redid the same survey, same questions. say they want to go back into the office in at least some form, but for the vast, vast majority only want to go back, you know, two, maybe three days a week. Um, And I think that's really going to change the shape of offices. You know, there's a lots of talk of companies doing things like neighborhood seating and things before that. When you have the majority of white collar workers coming back to the office only a couple days a week, I think it changes the shape of the office. But I think the thing that I, I don't think we've completely figured out um, is really how to make those two or three days into the office really effective. Um, you know, actually, Matt, who I know will go next, I won't steal his thunder, has probably put more thought into distributed work of anyone I've ever personally met. And one of the things he pointed out early on in this pandemic is that one of the reasons it's working for all of us on Zoom is that everyone's on it. Um, you know, there's one camera per person, everyone's on equal footing. And if you were, you know, pre-pandemic, if you were ever that one remote employee while everyone else was in a conference room, you remember how crappy it was. Um, Going back with flexible work, I think, is going to demand a lot more formality around the way we work. Um, You know, when you work, it's not a single player game, right? You know, it's a team sport. How do you get the right people at the right space of the office at the right time? Um, At Salesforce, just you asked me to put a little concrete. We've been really uh, developing this concept of a team agreement. So individual teams are going to write down, you know, what uh, meetings are, you know, one camera per person and distributed first, you know, what days of the week and what meetings are in person. And I think that level of formality around where and how we work was something that's completely new to us, but it's really trying to, um, you know, maximize the use of our space and also try to recognize that the flexible work future is as much about how we team as much as it is an individual decision. So yeah, why don't we jump in? Matt, tell us what you're thinking is going to happen with WordPress. What is it actually going to feel like and look like when you people start to go back? You know, it's so funny because we had actually gone to zero offices for a few years there. But then we started doing some acquisitions, including uh, companies like Tumblr, that had a pretty strong office culture. Personally, I, I'm right now part of that 72% that Brent mentioned wanting to go back because I miss my colleagues so much. I just really want to give everyone a big hug. But for us, I think that the thing is, once you have that taste of freedom, it's hard to return to your previous state. So once people see how they can integrate their work in their life, how can they 
improve their quality of life, improve their creativity by having more control over the environment. I think that if I had to predict like 10 years out is I think that companies will say, be wherever you want for say 40 something weeks of the year. And they'll have deliberate time that they come together maybe four or five, six weeks out of the year. So maybe a little more, so offices will look more like places to meet and convene rather than everyone just sit next to each other, you know, and look at their laptops all day. <laughs> that actually sounds a lot more personal and a lot more fun because I think you, when you're forced to be in the office all that time, you start to get that feeling where people just like pretend like they're working because they're just like, oh, I'm at work, I'm at the office. So that's a work enough. I don't have to accomplish anything. Whereas I think when people come in when they want to, and when there's something actually to get done, it's invigorating and you get that, like the beauty of that spontaneous collaboration, right? And you can go funner places. So for us, it was never a cost saving. So what we would save in office space, we would spend in travel and meetups. So we had this little tool, you could plug everyone in on a team, you know, let's say there's one person in New Zealand, one person in Japan, one person in New York, one person in California. And you say, where's the best place to meet? And it spits out, blah, 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 it says Hawaii. And so, you know, you find an awesome Airbnb and co-working space in Hawaii and the whole team flies there for a week and you can do a lot of that trust building, ideation, brainstorm, or just get to know your colleagues better, um, you know, just a few weeks out of the year rather than doing it as default. Wonderful. Jennifer, I would love to hear your opinion on what's going to be happening with PagerDuty. Like, what is it going to look like or what special precautions or things are you guys doing to make sure that when you go back, you can do it safely, but get those benefits of being together in person? Well, I think it'll be iterative. And I agree with uh, both Brett and Matt. It's going to be very flexible because that's what employees are demanding. I mean, we do very similar poll surveys with our employees. And Prior to the pandemic, 70% of our employees were in an office. And based on their most recent survey, it looks like that will be 54% once employees feel safe. So there's a lot of work to do around education in terms of what we're doing to make the offices safe, but also still make them engaging. And I like what Matt had to say about how in the future, we might orient around certain times where we all come together because it will be very fluid. And I think it's also... um, we're going to have a lot of work to do to figure out how to be efficient when you don't know who's going to be in the office when, because a lot of our employees are going to choose to be hybrid. When I was talking to my team today in our standup, one of the things I noticed is they're just, they're desperate to get together. Everybody is sick of being secluded in their zoom room at home, uh, et cetera. And they're ready to get together. But I feel that's like, that's a little like when you look forward to seeing your family over Thanksgiving, you're so excited, but after a couple of days of it, the novelty may wear off. So I don't think we're really going to know how this levels out until we start trying it and start doing it. What I do think is going to be important is um, making sure that we continue to create traditions that bind our employees culturally, that bring people together and connect them emotionally. This is one of the things I notice when our employees talk about what they miss is they miss those big traditions that we had that we had to cancel last year, whether that was company kickoff or sales club or getting together for an offsite and doing karaoke afterwards, et cetera. And so thinking through in a hybrid world, what do those traditions look like? And do you do them when everybody comes together or do you figure out how to do them remotely? And lastly, I would just say that I think it's going to be uh, hard, harder than maybe we estimate to figure out how to, how to give everybody that sort of level playing field and not accidentally create two or three classes of work, people who are remote or people who are hybrid or people who are in office. Like, what is that going to look like uh, going forward? And we're, we're going to experiment with a lot of things, but we don't know yet. 
Yeah, I love the idea of like continuing to make traditions that don't feel like they exclude half of the team just because they're in office or remote. And I think if you don't have those things, we're going to see these teams kind of start to fray and fall apart because it's just really difficult to feel that same kind of empathy and that same kind of team ethic if you don't actually see these people more often. Uh, Stuart, would love to hear your opinion. Like, what What's your plan uh, with Slack inside of Salesforce? Inside or out? I have some guesses, but I, th- I think one thing that's uh, maybe underappreciated is that this is going to be a market-driven decision, just in the same way that like compensation is driven by the market. You can have uh, David Solomon at Goldman Sachs say, everyone's just going to be back in the office. At some point, whenever that is, it's just going to happen. And you can have Jack say, no Twitter employees ever going to have to come to an office again if they don't want. But what's going to determine that is what people actually end up wanting. And I don't know that we, any of us really have a very clear idea of that right now, just because the pandemic will eventually subside, you know, hopefully sooner. Um, but the alteration to the way people live as a result of the pandemic, the loss of childcare, the loss of travel, the amenities of normal life, they put us in a very different psychological state. Um, the other thing is, before pandemic, we had 65% of people um, coming into the San Francisco office on an average day. So we had, I think, uh, 1,200 employees in San Francisco. It's our headquarters, the biggest office. And the other 35% were sick or traveling for business or on vacation or whatever. Uh, I, I agree um, that there's going to, you know, once the, we're able to, there's going to be a big desire for people to get together. But uh, I imagine that the desire to spend more time with family or not have to commute or to live in a place that I want to live rather than where my company happens to be headquartered, all of those factors will um, definitely push people, um, you know, push people towards a, that desire for flexibility, which everyone has already mentioned. But then you think about the purpose of the office and part of it is, you know, it's a projection of power into the world. We have a glass tower and we have our logo on the side of it. It's a place to host customers. It's a cultural touchstone for the company, for all the employees. It's a place to bring recruits that you want to impress. It's a place for collaboration and for all hands and for serendipitous you know, hallway conversations and all of that. And then on a per square foot basis, by far the biggest use is like factory farm battery housing for people to sit at a desk by themselves and use a laptop and not talk to anyone. And I think that's the lowest value use because that is, we found fungible, even if we didn't think that it was, you know, we thought this is going to be impossible for him to work from home. I'm, I would certainly put myself in that camp and, you know, huge respect to, to Matt for um, innovating here and, and experimenting, but we can just sit with our laptops and be anywhere. So I think that part is going to recede in importance in a pretty dramatic way. Yeah, I love the idea that it's really going to be about what you can only do in person. And it's not just going to be about being kind of an office drone, because I think that's what everyone feared was like going somewhere uncomfortable with lots of random noises and distractions where you didn't actually get a lot that you couldn't do at home instead of, you know, what what makes it really special. Uh, So I would also love to hear a little bit from from, uh, Zineb, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing about what these new office openings are going to look like once they're actually starting to happen. So I'm, I guess, the odd one out here because I, I work at a university, so we are, we don't have the same considerations as you guys might have. And 
what I'm hearing is oddly similar in that for some things, it's been actually great, right? Uh, we've been able to have conferences uh, that are better attended almost, and we can have all sorts of people that, you know, with academic conferences, visas, travel, who can afford to be there. Like if you hold one in the U.S., lots of people from around the world can't even come. So that's all the positive things. Uh, but it reminded me a little bit about the sort of happy families are happy, but unhappy ones are unhappy in their own way. I think for places that were already relatively well-functioning, it's been somewhat smooth. Whereas if you already had problems, um, it kind of just fell apart. But I want to sort of go back to one thing about the unpredictability of it all, because um, I don't have a prediction either, and remind people what the research showed on the open office design, uh, which was made partly to encourage social interaction, but didn't really take people into account, like just some architects and kind of first principles kind of thinking, uh, you know, let's just put people uh, without walls that will cause more interaction. What ended up happening, as anybody who's ever been in one can tell you, is that everybody put their headphones. So it became almost impossible to try to talk to anyone. Whereas like before you could knock on a door and say, let's meet or do something. If anything, like the research is, it kind of cuts down on interaction because you're not taking into account what people want to do, which is not be forced into certain kinds of interactions. So I think offices as they were, we're forcing people into sometimes unwanted interactions and we just put up with it, like the commute and the unnecessary meeting that could have been an email or things like that. So some of those things will be under attack, but it's so hard to sort of wave a magic wand and make a prediction on what will stick once the pandemic is over. Um, so I don't really have a, like, I just want to sort of do this caution about, it's very difficult to say, people want this and then do it and have it turn out exactly like that because people are their own thing. And when you actually try it out, that's when you see what it is they want to do. Amazing. So we're going to jump into a, a little bit more about this from some of our experts like Kim Mai and Justin. But first, I just want to present Matt with a little portrait that we made to commemorate the show, as well as uh, to commemorate the reopening of offices. So I just invited Amrit up on stage. And if you click into his profile, you'll see this adorable little uh, face that we made of uh, of you, uh, Matt. Uh, it depicts you inside your own creation, uh, which is great. And we're now uh, auctioning this NFT of the portrait and the physical print of this, both one of one and we're giving 20 percent to uh to the live in peace emergency covid relief fund for families of color specifically uh families uh, of service workers uh in the south bay so a lot of the kind of workers that got displaced by big tech companies not working uh and being available in person and so i think that that's a it's, it's really fun so amra just lo would love to hear you talk for a second about uh why you made this i know you're a long time wordpress fan so uh cute to get to offer this up to matt uh, hello, everyone. Extremely excited to be here. I'm a 3D illustrator from India, and uh, these days I'm creating these toy face NFTs. Uh, creating Matt's toy face was extremely special because uh, 10 years ago, I started my career designing WordPress-powered websites. Uh, that was the thing that got me into design and freelancing, so it feels like a full circle. I'm very glad I got to do this. Uh, it's an animated uh, NFT, so the animation reveals Matt inside of his uh, creation and removes his COVID-19 mask to signify the reopening of offices. 
uh, you can take a look at the static version and uh, once the NFT is up, uh, it, uh, you can see that. Yeah, and if you guys want to see the, the animated GIF version of this, you can check it out. It's on uh, on Foundation or you can find it on my Twitter right now. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Mondo IR, aka Amrit, or Amit, who uh, bid uh, 38.88 ETH on last week's NFT portrait of Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Toby Lutke and uh, Spotify's Daniel Ek, uh, which ended up raising $14,000 for GiveDirectly's uh, US family. COVID poverty relief fund. So just big thanks to, to incredible collectors like Am, uh, to Amit, who's uh, helping us to be able to provide more of this relief to charity. Uh, so with that, uh, you guys can check out that through uh, Foundation and the links in my Twitter uh, or on my Clubhouse profile. But with that, I want to kick it over to Kim Mike Cutler, my former co-worker at TechCrunch. Thank you, Amrit. I'm at a loss for words. That's oh amazing. yeah, Matt, what do you think of the, the portrait? I don't know what to say. That's that's I'm speechless. Thank you so it's much. Adorable. If you guys check out the gift version, he has a little COVID mask that uh, that disappears as he's revealed inside of his creation. So uh, just cool way to to commemorate this little moment. But Kimai, I want to kick it over to you. You're one of my co uh, writers back at TechCrunch, uh, and you wrote some incredible talk uh, or articles about. Uh, you know, the the office culture in San Francisco, how tech workers and the Bay Area uh, interact. And we'd love to hear your question uh, for our speakers about, you know, what's going to happen next as we start to see this reopening. Yeah. Um, so funny that you said earlier that you love working remotely, because I remember when we worked back in TechCrunch, uh, hardly any of the writers were ever in the office. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, definitely, I like, never came in. I think you're just continuing what you were doing before. Um, I'd actually, so I think at the current moment, I think there are, uh, the metric that people like to use is, is there something like 10 or 11 empty Salesforce towers currently, um, in San Francisco today? I'd love to kick it over actually to Justin to talk about what the office market dynamic looks like currently and what you're seeing companies choose to do. Um, in terms of making decisions on, you know, how to configure their spaces as they go back. Thanks, Kim. Um, great to be here, everyone. Um, yeah, coming off of the largest remote experiment in history, um, you know, a lot of what um, all of you guys are saying uh, about your teams being excited to get back together is really supported by the numbers. Demand for companies to get, you know, to get back and to lease new space is off the charts. Um, and, you know, uh, um, by our numbers, we're back up over Do you, you want to give a little bit of context about what you do and um, oh, yeah, sure. you yeah. work with? Yeah. Um, so I'm the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Raise Commercial Real Estate. And so uh, we're a te technology-enabled um, commercial real estate brokerage. So we help companies, you know, uh, uh, find office space, build it out, and manage their workplaces all all through kind of our experts and a technology platform. Um, and so we're, we have offices in San Francisco, Palo Alto, um, and Los Angeles and, and growing rapidly. So we have a lot of insight into, you know, um, kind of three of the major tech hubs, um, you know, in the world um, and, and certainly, you know, really good coverage in California. Um, so yeah, we've, you know, we have a really unique um, view of kind of what, early, mid and late stage, you know, um, especially tech companies are doing. And, uh, you know, last year, um, kind of when everything shut down in March and we all, you know, left, left our, our offices, you know, the market was just frozen. I mean, uh, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, many of us haven't. Um, and, and just, you know, um, when the new year hit um, in January, 
kind of, uh, you know, things started picking up, you know, companies started kind of re-engaging. Um, and now by March, um, you know, we're back to above 80% of the demand that we had pre-pandemic. Um, and, um, you know, you're, we're all going to start seeing um, some incredible brands, you know, um, uh, design tech, um, uh, you know, um, hearing about their, their new big leases in, in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, the narrative kind of is changing. Um, I, I will say, I, I agree a lot with Jen. Like, this is going to be an iterative process. And mostly, we won't get it right for the first time. Um, you know, there's been so much inertia to changing the workplace um, that has built, you know, been building up for centuries. Um, and it basically took a pandemic to invert that inertia and make people kind of rethink, you know, how, where, and when they want to work. Um, and a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, what's best for companies now that they have the choice of, you know, uh, um, office centricity, hybrid, remote first, or fully remote. Um, you know, Matt um, has been, um, you know, uh, building WordPress in an incredible way, fully remote, but, you know, was definitely um, kind of um, more idiosyncratic than, than you know, um, uh, kind of the, the norm and ha has led that way. But, you know, most companies had one formula to build the office. And now, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of choices, not only for companies, but for individuals. So it's going to be really fun to watch. One thing I have a question about is, you know, if we're shifting towards, you know, as Brett has said at Salesforce, people are coming in a couple days a week instead of every day a week. Um, the whole logistics from a company perspective, and then even from a city planning perspective, like how do you predict and manage capacity day by day? And, you know, the, you know, what are you making your footage commitments to? Are you making it to, you know, the total size of your employees? employee base in based in that city or are you um you know cycling out some teams on some days and other teams on other days i'd love you know for one or more of you to talk about just the logistics of of, of scheduling in a world um on desk assignments and all that other kind of stuff in a world where people are coming in maybe like two days a week instead of five days a week yeah i'll, I'll start and then i'm sure um, other folks will will chime in but um i i, I think brett um um said it well earlier, like you're going to have to design around teams. Um, and it's going to be a, ha it's going to have to be a lot more organized than I think people realize. Um, because you know, what if every, every single person comes in on the same, you know, two days, um, it's going to be really hard to manage. And so, um, you know, kind of scheduling software, um, uh, is going to kind of help people either book desks or, you know, conference rooms, um, uh, before they come in you know, teams um, or kind of different parts of the organization are going to have to kind of, you know, schedule whether, you know, um, Eng gets, you know, Monday and Wednesday and, you know, sales gets Tuesday and Thursday and, you know, kind of Friday becomes more flexible, but it can't just simply be like, uh, you know, everyone is in, you know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Monday and Friday, you know, kind of work from anywhere. Um, there's going to be, have, have to be a lot more organization and, and kind of technology, but also like, you know, kind of the cultural aspects of it. Um, and then the other, other thing I'll share is that like um, for a lot of our clients, uh, uh, every employee has to designate whether they want to be fully office, which is four or more days a week, um, hybrid, which is, you know, um, one to three days a week um, or remote. And then they can, you know, come in kind of at most, you know, once a quarter. Um, and then they'll basically kind of design the offices and the remote stipends and how they organize their teams based upon 
what that employee says. And, you know, that employee has to kind of stick with that for a year and then they can kind of rethink and adjust. Uh, One comment I'll make. Oh, sorry, Matt, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, it's so key, especially for executives um, to make sure that the people who aren't in the office don't feel like second class citizens. And so it is more work to make everyone feel really included and on an equal footing. But I think that that investment in documentation, communication pays off. Yeah, I agree. And I just also want to say, you know, uh, Justin, when you're talking about going back to flexible work, I do think we're in a really unique moment where we have this once in a lifetime opportunity to reimagine how we work and reimagine our cultures. You know, as Stuart said, I don't think like most of us, other than maybe Matt in this clubhouse, could imagine that we could, you know, all work in a distributed way over the course of the year. And we all did because we had to. I think the big question is, you know, as we all get vaccinated and it becomes safe, there's a risk you sort of snap back haphazardly to old habits or worse, kind of what you were implying, Matt, that you end up with this, you know, a lot of individuals making individual decisions and making teams stop functioning correctly um, because either remote um, people feel like second-class citizens, or you just end up with sort of that team dynamic actually getting worse than it was prior to the pandemic or even in the pandemic, because you're sort of in this unhappy place where, uh, you know, everyone's working in a different working style. So one thing I would just say, you know, we talk, I have a privilege of talking to a lot of different executives around the world every single week. And one of the main words I use is intentionality, uh, that I do think that as you know, we reopen, uh, I think will happen more quickly than people think, is intentionally designing the culture you want. Um, and I do think you know, the importance of software is not lost on us. You know, early in this pandemic, we made a platform called work.com to help offices reopen safely with things like shift management to manage uh, you know, the fact that office capacity couldn't be at 100% to maintain distancing. Even after this, I think that every company is going to need software, like almost their own private version of, you know, WeWork or something so that, you know, teams can get purpose-built spaces, uh, that, you know, teams show up uh, at the right time. And as Matt said, you know, you know, when the makeup of teams and the mix of distributed workers are, are fully remote, um, that every single way you engage is very intentionally designed. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, one of these factors is like in these team agreements we talk about, you can say for this meeting, there's one camera per person. It doesn't matter if you're in the office or not. That's one of the things you can say has to happen. I think these details are really new. And I think if there's a sense of urgency as the vaccination rollout goes so well, particularly in the United States, I think if companies don't get ahead of this and start putting the software in place, putting these programs in place, they could end up in a really awkward position three or four months from now. Can you talk a little bit about what that intentional planning process looks like inside of Salesforce? Like when, I mean, I'm, I, I'm assuming you've been doing some form of it throughout the entire pandemic, but you know, when did the actual process of reimagining your office spaces happen? And what did those conversations look like internally with your executive team? Yeah, so, you know, we started with a lot of um, conversations about what we wanted the, the culture to be at the executive team. We also coupled that with a lot of surveys, and I mentioned some of those survey results. In particular, though, we try to get pretty precise in these surveys about, you know, do you want to go to the office at all? Do you, you know, how many days a week? And trying to get a sense of 
how many of our employees are based next to a hub and essentially have an office no matter how many days they go. And then, you know, what percentage of employees are going to be, you know, fully remote? They, they don't really have an office assigned um, to them. And um, actually pre-pandemic, over 18% of our employees were actually remote um, full-time. So it's already been a pretty meaningful part of our culture even going into this. And then uh, we started, you know, we have a process called V2 Moms, which is a uh, vision, values, methods, um, obstacles, and measures. It's kind of like OKRs of, of other folks have done that. We started writing down what is our vision for our office space and the way we work together. And then every team um, sort of took that direction and made their own. And that took the form of these team agreements that I talked about. Um, you know, leaders can pick like the days teams need to be in the office. Um, every person needs a digital version of themselves and meetings to accommodate remote employees. We really took um, the idea that we really are asking leaders to lean into experimentation. Um, I think that it's really hard to predict right now what people are going to want on the other side of this because, you know, we're all sort of forced into a position right now and it's really easy for all of us in Clubhouse to predict. And, you know, on one hand, you have people saying, it's like the roaring 20s, I want to show up every single day, I'm dying to see people. And on the other side, you have people saying they're never going to go into an office. I think we're, we're really trying to bake agility into it. Um, and then the other thing that actually I learned from Matt, um, he has these uh, higher, like this um, five levels of distributed work that might be worth talking about, Matt. We've also tried to really build in asynchronous communication into our culture now and make a lot more of that permanent, um, recognizing that uh, I do think that asynchronous communication is a key component to a culture that is friendly towards distributed work. Um, I'll stop there because I think Matt is probably more eloquent than I am to talk a little bit why that is. But um, suffice to say, while we're all distributed, we're trying to make sure we're baking in some of the lessons we've learned this year to make them more permanent, even for the other side of the pandemic. I mean, Stuart, if you don't mind me bouncing it to you, I'd love to hear how you talk about asynchronous as well, because it's so key to, um, I think, the best slacks. All right. Um... You know, there's one thing I'm going to digress just for a second, um, because in addition to the uncertainty, I think it's uh, useful for people to have some optimism. And I really do have this hope that um, we all view this as a time of opportunity, because it's only when systems get pushed this far off of equilibrium that you can actually make big changes. And for the last year, because we've been under the pressure of the pandemic, I think it's been difficult to step back and think about building the workplace that we want and the culture that we want. Uh, but now we have that opportunity. And when I'm talking to customers, by the way, anything I say that um, seems self-serving and lines up with Slack's business model and future earnings and stuff like that is purely coincidental. That there's no uh, influence <laughs> at all. Um, but uh, in, in talking to customers, I think that, we get asked a lot, do you think people will be remote? Do you think they'll return to the office? And I think that the quite like remote or distributed work is probably the wrong frame to use. I think digital first, which actually I first heard from Toby Bukka, um, and I think several people in this, in this conversation have used as well, is the better way to think about it because for the last 150 years since the development of the modern corporation, people have been very reliant on physical presence as a means for operations and, and management and reporting and uh, but if you 
just pulled a random executive out of a hat, I think very few of them would spend even like one fifth as much time thinking about the digital infrastructure they're providing to their employees to enable productivity and to get work done and to ensure that the company's able to operate as they do their physical infrastructure, like the you know, here's an office lease in the build out and we want our new conference rooms to have blah, blah, blah. So you put those together. One thing that we've been spending a lot of time on at, at Slack is specifically thinking of what are we doing today that is synchronous, that could be made asynchronous because I don't know if we're allowed to swear in here, but I cannot fucking do eight hours of Zoom calls for the rest of my life. Like every day, like just physically, I'm not able to do it. I think we're all there with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think a, a good percentage of those are most effective as synchronous conversations. You know, everyone's there at the same time, but there is a real cost to that. You know, like it's 1130 on its Tuesday. We have a recurring meeting. So I'm going to stop whatever I was doing. And I don't really have, I didn't think about it very much. And I don't have much to say in this meeting, but I'm going to sit there for the whole half hour because that's what we allotted for it. The alternatives that we're exploring, I'm happy to talk about more, but I don't want to turn it into too much of a, an ad for Slack. But on the one hand, it's uh, encouraging uh, people to recreate the serendipity and the spontaneity of conversations that you know arose because someone walked over to someone else's desk and asked them a question. And the meeting software that we have today just does not support that at all. Like it, it, I could go over to Matt's desk, ask him a question. We have a three-minute conversation. It kind of peters out, and that's totally natural. You can't like have the conversation peter out on a Zoom because you would just hang up. Um, so what's the alternative? Uh, and the other, um, the other direction I think that's really interesting is providing some, let me put it a different way. We need to make it easier for people to do work asynchronously because if you're like me and you have two options and option A is carefully articulate your thoughts in written format and like edit it well so it's concise and intelligible to everyone and then patiently read through everyone else's written feedback, blah, 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 blah. And option B is, let's just have a meeting for 30 minutes. Then it's like eating candy. You shouldn't do it. It's not good for you. But we're human beings, and we routinely do stuff that's, that's bad for us. And so we'll have the 30-minute meeting and said, the only solution to that is to make it sufficiently easier in the way that like, using a ride-hailing service is easier than taking a cab. My number one feature request for Slack would be asynchronous audio messages so that we could just sort of like, because text is so reductive. And I feel like part of the reason we jump to meetings is like we misunderstand each other so much. So I just want to send like a, a quick, you know, telegram like voice message. I will get you in the beta. Ooh, that's, that's newsy. We got some asynchronous Slack audio messages on the way. Yep. You guys just... What about, what about synchronous audio, guys? <laughs> Quiet, oh, yeah. Paul. <laughs> like, we're, I, yeah, I, I've always believed the good artists copy great artists steal thing. So we're, we're just building Clubhouse into Slack, essentially. Like that, that idea of you can drop it. The conversation is happening whether you're there or not. You can enter and leave when you want as opposed to a call that starts and stops is an amazing model for encouraging that spontaneity and that serendipity and the, you know, conversations that only need to be three minutes, but the only option for you to schedule them is 30 minutes. So like look out for 
clubhouse built into Slack. Stuart, you you also just like expanded the ability to do that kind of asynchronous messaging uh, via text uh, with allowing people to sort of with Slack Connect, the ability to, to Slack across different teams. You know, maybe you could tell us like how you think that plays into it because a lot of this work does have to happen across different companies. And if you have to you know resort always to the phone call to the meeting, that seems super lossy. And so I'm actually pretty excited about that part. Yeah, I think the... Stock Connect is, is really for people who work together but happen to have different employers. And you can imagine the marketer and the you know, person running the, the creative agency or the purchasing director at an auto manufacturer and their counterpart at the parts company or you know, finance people and the auditors. Uh, they benefit from the kind of channel-based model in exactly the same way teams do. Like we, we've done our audit on Slack for the last five years and KPMG partners can you know, be in the channel and see what all the junior associates are saying. But every year the audit is 80% the same questions. Like why did you classify this expense as blah, blah, blah. And it's really powerful for the this year's people to be able to see the previous year. The you know, Slack Connect, um, I said great artists copy and uh, we're, we're not good artists, be great artists still. Um, in addition to just the audio, I think the story format um, from Snapchat or Instagram is really powerful. And for people to be able to send quick messages back and forth across organizational boundaries will increasingly just like push people towards that mode of communication. Wait, so is Slack stories also in beta? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It was a joke when it was like Microsoft Excel stories, but I feel like you, you made a relatively compelling argument for why we could really use that. And I agree. People have gotten very comfortable with that, you know, overlay captions, add some GIFs, put in some images, you know, you can tell a story a lot uh, more richly than, you know, trying to like describe to somebody something when you can actually annotate an image. Uh, But Stuart, I I know that there was some concerns this week, and this is a a little bit of a tougher question, but, you know, I know that there was some concerns uh, that people before, the launch of Slack Connect, we're talking about that it could be an abuse vector because in the invite messages to like connect with somebody and be able to DM with them, you could include text, which could be used for abuse. And that, that you know, it took until after the launch to uh, to actually change that and remove those invite messages. So you just get the invite and we've sort of removed its ability to be an abuse vector. But you could just tell us quickly like what happened there. Yeah, I think what happened was there is a First of all, unforced error on our part, but there was a conflation of the sending an invitation to request permission to talk to someone with the sending of a message in Slack. And honestly, Slack Connect DM is super useful feature, um, kind of hard to explain the value of independent of, of the whole rest of the system and probably not a great thing to do PR about because people don't have the patience rightfully, to sit through a long explanation. And so what they hear is anyone can DM anyone else, which is definitely not the intent. Um, but uh, I think the mistake was a little bit different than what people think. And I think it's around building adequate tools to detect the abuse and, and the spam, as opposed to letting people use the internet to send text to one another, because there's like literally a hundred thousand things on the internet that work in exactly the same way. Like, the, you know, in, instead of uh, what you and I would do, which is copy the URL from the address bar to send someone a New York Times article, many people will use the share via email feature um, and type in their own text. Uh, and it's, uh, it's not like a hundred thousand wrongs 
make a right. And it's not at all to minimize the, um, the seriousness of the online harassment. But that was a relatively easy change for us to make. And, uh, I, you know, honestly, I don't think it would have been a significant vector for abuse ultimately. Um, but, you know, better, better safe than sorry. Yeah, I really appreciate the thought that you guys have put in to try to make up for for that. I think you guys have done a good job. So, Stuart, I want to ask you and and Brett and Matt and Jen, you know, have you guys been surveying your employees and which of these sort of versions of hybrid uh, of work are they most interested in? We've been constantly surveying our employees. I mean, like it was, we were weekly pulsing for a while. Now I think we're back to monthly pulsing. And it's been interesting to see um, how our employees' preferences have merged. Uh, we already had quite a distributed culture. And for those of you who don't know what PagerDuty does, it's digital operations. It's synchronous, distributed, time-critical, mission-critical, unpredictable work automation. And so um, what's interesting is when our employees talk about returning to the office, it is really all about socialization and collaboration and connection. They have figured out how to work. I mean, I and I think Zainab said this, if your culture was strong before the pandemic, the transition's been pretty smooth. Our employees have figured out how to work together and you know, perform well and in fact, find new ways to innovate uh, even though we're distributed. But they want to reestablish the connection to their coworkers and their managers and their uh, the people they manage and the culture in a way that's been hard to do when you are 12 hours a day in a Zoom square. And I think, um, you know, there are some things that that can surface in this environment that are actually not good. Like if you had a strong meeting culture and that's turned into eight to 12 straight hours of Zoom, that's not good either. So they're asking us for to help um, one, simplify work and try and um, kill stupid rules that historically, you know, wasted time where people could be connecting. But the other thing I, we haven't really talked about that I think is important is there are a lot of dependencies uh, that we don't control that may impact whether or not people can come into work and come into work safely, whether it's public transport. I mean, even after some of our staff members are vaccinated, not everybody's going to be vaccinated. Most of the municipalities are still running on reduced schedules or reduced capacity. And so I was just talking to an employee today who said, I would love to come into work. I have no way to get there. Right. And so there's a whole bunch of other dependencies that are going to go along with this that determine how and when that is all going to evolve. And so we started to think about, well, what do you do to create that sense of connection, regardless of how long this takes to unfold, how different, you know, every single person's been affected by the pandemic uniquely and in a different ways. And I equally, I think every single person's going to come, uh, going to return to the, this new way of working in their own way. And in the meantime, what are we doing to try and build on that connection to the company? And I, I loved what Brett had to say about team agreements. And I also think it's that signaling from leadership is really important. One of the things that's been bugging me lately is the way we are labeling workers. We're saying you're either remote or you're hybrid. I mean, when you call someone a remote employee, does that make them, does that already signal something? So is there a different way uh, to consider even how we communicate about uh, these new options and these new ideas going forward so that we don't create that A-team-B team effect in, in unintentionally. Matt, maybe you could talk a little bit about like your, your five visions uh, of remote work and how the, the surveys that maybe you're doing at WordPress or that are happening at Salesforce, what they're indicating, you know, which level people are really interested in. 
Yeah, and I'll just underscore Jen's point that no one wants to be remote, really. You want to be connected to your colleagues. So we try to use the word distributed. Um, the five levels, I'll go through them really briefly. Zero is something you have to do in person. Level one is where a lot of companies were before the pandemic, where you know maybe you couldn't access all the company resources or the VPN or whatever. Two is where you're in eight hours of Zoom meetings all day. <laughs> so that's when like you just take the office and try to recreate it online and it doesn't work and it stresses people out and you're less effective than before. Uh, level three is when you go uh, distributed. So when everyone has equal playing field, you adopt tools like Slack and Zoom and you just, it starts to be actually better. Then if you were in office, you can do things like everyone have a shared Google Doc up at the same time that real-time notes are being taken. You, know, you can record meetings and people can watch them sped up. And then that takes you to kind of the top level, which is level four. And that's when you take all the best things of the previous levels and you go asynchronous. And I do truly believe that a team firing on all cylinders um, at level four or above is is more effective than any in-person team could be. And that's controversial because we've all had great in-person experiences, but um, I think it is possible and I've seen it happen. If nothing else, then, you know, just passing the torch between different time zones, you can essentially get like 15 days in a five-day work week. Brett, what about you guys? Are you, what are you guys seeing in terms of uh, employees' interest in these different levels? Like how much do they want to just stay home or you know, rapidly get back to the office or somewhere in between? So um, we more than 80%, I think it's going to end up closer to 90 in practice, uh, want to be um, distributed at least two days a week. Um, and on Matt's scale, we're trying to shoot for level three, which is kind of... Uh, remote first or distributed, meaning, uh, you know, we accommodate the those employees who um, we just want to be distributed friendly um, because we think it's an important part of work culture. And, you know, one thing Stuart mentioned early on is it's there's a marketplace. And I think a lot of employees are going to be um, candidly asking for this and demanding it. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, though, that I think is worth mentioning, I think Thursday is the new Monday. Um, what we've noticed is that Wednesday and Thursday um, is the days our employees most want to come into the office. Um, I think those are going to be the peak days. And, you know, Mondays and Fridays, um, you know, people do much want much less. And um, I think it's going to really sort of play into when and how our spaces are used. And I think it's going to really change the tenor of the work week, too, especially when we become more distributed friendly. Stuart, what about you guys, employees? Here's like the uh, uh, an aspect of the market-driven thing. People have already moved. Like people who who lived in our San Francisco office have moved to Austin and to Ohio. Um, people have moved just to Sacramento so they can afford a bigger house so they can have a yard. And we're obviously not going to be able to tell those people, okay, pandemic's over. Now you have to sell your home and move your family back to a different city. Um, so I think the a lot of the groundwork or a lot of the ground has already shifted. Thirty plus percent of our employees started post-pandemic. We've been hiring a lot in, in cities where we previously couldn't, I have air quotes around it, couldn't hire because um, we didn't have an office there. So it opens us up to a huge pool of talent and it, it makes it a little bit of an irreversible decision. Um, I'll pause there because I actually, I, I want to uh, 
just so many interesting people on the call. Yeah, I'd love to kick it to, to Zainab. Maybe you could uh, ask our next question because I know you've been covering this closer than anyone. You were the person that I think sounded the alarm amongst one of the, some of the first uh, about what was really going to happen. And I know you hate to make predictions, but you are quite good <laughs> at it. So I don't know what to say. Like I would like to okay, maybe so- make some predictions or at least ask some questions that might reveal some. So he, here's the trick to like being very good at predictions, just refuse to make them and then uh, cover all the bases and you'll be fine. Um, so the, I, joking aside, that does really bring me back to something. And I was listening to everybody talk about their surveys. And I mean, like I do a lot of social science work. Maybe this year was a lot of pandemic work. And there's a couple of things about surveys in a situation like this that probably aren't telling us what we need to know because people don't know, right? It's one of those things in which when you ask people, what do you want? They may be telling you something, but it's hard for people to predict too. Like it's really nice to, you know, sort of for me to predict other people to predict, but it's, it's a thing with many moving parts. So right now people might be very bored and tired and kind of sick. And we kind of plunged into this, like we weren't really ready. Uh, So they might really want to go back to the office. And as soon as you go back, they might be like, oh, wait, there was this thing I didn't like about it. Or I'm just sort of putting it out there that I think surveys probably aren't telling us the thing. The other thing is everybody's talking about how this is kind of an opportunity in the sense that you have a disruption in the real sense, right? There is a way of doing things. And some of those things made no sense probably, but we did them because that's how we always did them. So now we have this moment that we all kind of shifted very quickly in a hurry, in a haphazard way. It can shift back into inertia just as quickly. And people are amazing in their adaptability. So if you go back and say, okay, my survey says this is what we're going to do. And you kind of go back to it. Everybody will very quickly say, all right, that's how we do it. And it just might be immovable from there. Like something if you teach, ever teach, something that's really interesting is even in big classes, like 50-person classes, you know, 100-person classes, what I notice is that people come the first day of class, they sit someplace, and then everybody sits exactly in that place for the rest of the semester, right? The humans are very interesting. Like they adapt to things that you don't think they'll adapt very fast. But once they adapt, they also get stuck in that new, you know, optima. So in terms of intentionality, something interesting to try might be to do genuine uh, natural experiments rather than bringing everybody back according to whatever the survey says. Try a couple of parallel things and see how they work out. I realize this is not possible everywhere and has its complications, but I don't think the surveys are gonna tell you what you need to know because the crystal ball of the complicated interactions and you know, distangling the pandemic fatigue and wanting to get the heck out of the house with what the long-term interesting thing would be, nor does it really tell you uh, which parts of the thing that we lost were really essential or we're just missing them because we feel nostalgic for the pre-pandemic or whatever else might be. So if I had this, you know, maybe this is like my my business model, which is social science and experimentation. If I had a large um, workforce, I would try parallel tracks of these configurations. Um, I mean, of course, without making it too hard on people, and you could even put people in things they want to be put in. So you're not like imposing on people, but I'm sure there's different things to tweak it out rather than uh, going back in 
sort of structure A all at once, because whatever you do the first month, I bet you that's what you will be stuck with, uh, whatever it is, right? That's what everybody's going to do from there on, because you're not going to be able to move that easily from there on. Everybody will adjust and it'll be the way we do things. And um, hopefully we won't have another pandemic. So that was kind of my thought about this is not like it's a disruption, but it will f- and the vaccination is going to have such a huge, quick impact. I think we're going to be back much sooner than most people are um, thinking about. Uh, there's been a lot of these sort of scary stories about the variants and this and that and things. But if you look at the science of it, my sense is uh, we're pretty close to um, uh, return like in the United States, as far as most practical things are considerations. So we might find ourselves back in the office, even feeling quite comfortable. Uh, yes, right now, you know, everybody's still getting vaccinated. It'll take a few months uh, before we know it. And it's a good time to think, can we do parallel tracks? Can we like do some experimentation? Can we like, before we settle into whatever it is, because whatever it is, we will settle into it very quickly. I think we need some social scientists on the staff at Salesforce, first of all. You know, it's interesting what you said really resonates. I joked uh, with our head of real estate. I met my wife at work and I was like, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have happened if we were talking over Zoom all day. And it's interesting, there's a big generational divide on this too. When we asked people about their preferences for flexible work and remote work, our Gen Z employees were... Um, twice as likely to want to be fully office-based than the baby boomers and the Gen X employees. And I think it really reflects that there's a, there's a ton more nuance to the data that we're getting than we're really grappling with. Um, also, just quickly on the, I think we're pretty close to reopening. I agree. We'll be announcing more next week, but we're very close to reopening our San Francisco office. And I think this is happening sooner than people expect. I would agree. I think that, uh, you know, s- surveying employees, uh, we saw so many changes over the course of 12 months, um, you know, from kind of people getting excited about uh, remote when they hadn't ever done that before. And, you know, the numbers kind of um, uh, decreased over time. Um, but I think that uh, there will be an opportunity to do these kind of experiments, right? If we if we kind of think about like at three months of time, um, you know, you have employees that are fully remote or hybrid, and then checking in, you know, at the end of that and seeing, well, you know, uh, did they actually want more flexibility on the survey, but they ended up coming in, you know, most days. Um, And so I think that we are going to be able to do some experimentation. And, um, you know, Brett's point is really important, right? Like this is a different experience for individuals who either have families or are coming right out of college and want, you know, to learn by osmosis and, and, and to have that kind of mentorship. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, that age group has really suffered. And so I think we really do have to think about this from, you know, it is an individual experience. It's how we want to bring our teams together to do their best work. Um, but I, I do love the kind of idea of like taking different cohorts and, you know, seeing how they behave um, uh, in comparison to their surveys. Because um, I think we're going to see a lot of people that, um, you know, obviously would choose to have more flexibility because, you know, why not? Um, but then, you know, they end up coming in more and more. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it, how it shakes out. But I would advise, you know, kind of taking survey data as one data point, but not, you know, the only one to make kind of decisions, especially for long term. That brings up this uh, question for me, which was talking about 
are we so acclimated to the work from home era that people are going to be reluctant to leave? Like I have a, you know, there, there's two kind of camps. One thinks that we're going to enter this yellow economy where people who've been cooped up for so long are going to immediately like bounce back, maybe even further into extroversion than they were before. But there's also this other idea that, you know, people have gotten kind of used to watching a lot more Netflix a day to not actually being around people. It can be it can feel a lot more exhausting to spend two hours with friends, even in a safe distanced manner now than it used to spend, you know, right next to them inside. Uh, and I, I wonder about that. So I would love to hear what you guys think about, uh, you know, are, do you really think that we're going to see this mass return uh, and this abandoning of the norms that we created during COVID? And what the, uh, the follow-up question there is like, what did we, what were we really missing that maybe we forgot that we were missing uh, by not being in the office? Josh, can I say one thing before we kind of continue? I used to teach about like pandemics in my uh, sociology intro class before this because they're really great for teaching sociology. And I would ask my students uh, if they'd heard about the 1918 pandemic and like maybe one, you know, every other semester, uh, people forgot the 1918 pandemic, like as fast as they humanly could. So I wouldn't like underestimate how fast people might want to immediately forget everything. Just to sort of looking at the past pandemics, we move on so quickly, uh, at least we have in the past. Yeah, you're right. I think you know, human nature is very adaptable. I just worry that we you know, we we may have been like reacclimated to something so deeply that you know it can it can feel really exhausting. I think to suddenly emerge, but I, I hope that is what people are going to do once it's safe to. But yeah, we'd love to hear everyone's opinions on you know what do you think we we lost and whether we're going to you know and and whether we're going to come right back in. I think that it might be a little bit awkward at first. Um, you know. Um, it's been a year of, of isolation for a lot of us, but I think that's quickly going to subside. I mean, you know, um, just, you know, being with other people, being with, you know, some people you haven't met, but have been working with for a year, um, you know, going out for drinks and going for coffee and going on walks and jamming on the whiteboard. Like there are so many things that are going to be really exciting to just kind of feel that energy, you know, like so much about, you know, 10 hours of zoom is that every call feels kind of like a transaction. You know, it's like, you know, pleasantries, you kind of, you know, talk about what you need and then you move on to the next. And um, those in-between moments are so special and so missed um, for a lot of people. I agree. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be wonderful. Like as an extrovert who, you know, gains energy by being around other people, I, I, is so excited to get back and, you know, even get to know and connect with some of our new employees. I've hired executives. I've acquired a company while we've been, you know, in lockdown. So um, I think that that opportunity is wonderful. And at the same time, I think that there, you know, to Stuart's point, the market is going to kind of decide in many ways, some of the things they're going to want to keep and some of the things they'll be willing to return to and some of the things they'll be willing to give up. One thing I don't think modern employees are going to give up on is the convenience and the flexibility they had. And, you know, that's what Brett opened up with, but uh, you know, I may never go into another grocery store again. I don't know why I would do that. I don't need to, I can find so many other ways to get things delivered to my home. And I think in the same ways, there are uh, employees who, who may have to, to Stuart's point, have already left, have already moved near a mountain or a lake or closer to their parents, et cetera. And 
to them, that's a trade-off to be able to have a more affordable lifestyle. You hear of these 15-minute neighborhoods where you can combine your work, your life, your play, your education all within a 15-minute bike ride, this concept of cloud commuting. I think all of that is going to stick around and, and it just continues to return to the question of how do you, how you build your brand and build your culture and make gatherings um, make the make the most out of every like physical gathering, but at the same time, figure out how to create those connections in your distributed team as well. And I think that's a challenge that's uh, here to stay. I love Zenit's idea of you know kind of running A/B testing and trying a trying things out in a couple of different lanes because humans will tell you what they think they want, but it's really what they do that will that will teach us a lot about uh, what the future needs to look like. You know what's crazy about all this, though, Jen, when I was thinking about it? Collectively, the whole world is go, went from having their entire culture disrupted to be distributed only. And now we're all going back and all thinking about what is the office culture we want. It's just crazy that the whole world went from being an autopilot essentially for 100 years. And now collectively, we're all building it back from scratch. And I it was just interesting. I came away from thinking this that I needed we need social scientists on our staff and totally. just because we haven't had these choices before. You know, and I it's a really um really heady that just I've never it's just a, it's in the history of work, this collective shift in the way we work and the intentionality, the way we bring it back, it's a very meaningful moment in history in my mind. And it's, it's exciting. It's, oh. Sorry, okay. go ahead. I was just going to say it's exciting. I, mean, I think Brett used the word like we have this opportunity to reimagine and like for everybody who's listening, like one of the things I'm taking away from tonight and I hope you all will is like, how do we make sure we don't snap back? How do we make sure we make the most out of, you know, what's happened, this unprecedented uh, event and shift in our society and not just for ourselves and for our companies, but there is a whole community of people who have not benefited by the pandemic, who, will, who won't get the benefit of distributed work, whose businesses have disappeared because, you know, the, the sort of corporate neighborhood has gone away. The life in, around their uh, businesses is gone. And so we also have to figure out, you know, what the seismic shift is to bring everybody forward with us, not, not just our employees and, and our families and, and, and the people that we hang around with. Right. How amazing is it just that, like, I was in the office, you know, five, six days a week, um, uh, and we had about 20% of our team distributed. Um, but going through this, I have so much more empathy for our team, you know, who, who, who is, um, you know, um, working remotely. And, you know, you, like, there's no choice for me, um, other than to kind of build around making sure that, you know, all, all of our team kind of is, you know, there to make decisions, has the same information, um, you know, is, is tapped into the conversations that um, uh, they should be. Um, and, you know, just like the empathy that has grown for, you know, um, previously a small set of the entire, you know, working population that was remote, um, at, you know, with most of us default office, um, you know, how, whatever those percentages um, end up being, uh, you know, each group is going to have a lot of empathy for, you know, um, other ways to work and, and, and their team and, you know, how they live their life and how they engage with their colleagues. I'm curious to hear from, you know, from all of you when, you know, when that, I mean, it's not going to be exactly like a light switch, but when, you know, the teams in your company start to have, you know, either 
regular, um, you know, in-office work or, you know, the on-site, so to speak? I mean, what kinds of special things are you thinking about to set and reestablish culture in those moments in those very first few days or first, first week or two? That's a tough one. I feel like the culture has been happening. You know, the culture is every interaction that happens between. It's the examples that the leaders set. Um, I don't feel like anything's actually been missing uh, with the lack of us getting together, except that connection. But the culture has still been evolving. We've been trying to um, start getting some people together. We actually did our last earnings call together outside there's some jokes from some of the analysts that they heard birds chirping while we were reading our earnings. And we've been, you know, doing these 30-minute PCR tests, meeting outdoors, and we've been trying to set up our offices with, you know, cleaning protocols, plexiglass between workstations. And the root of your question is like, I think what we're going to do with all these safety protocols, I think is really focusing on the human connection. I think that um, we've been working really productively, um, but that sense of camaraderie and team and sort of that humane connection to your coworkers does feel really missing. Um, and I was reflecting when we first did one of these, you know, outdoor uh, meetings like that earnings call, it's a very emotional experience. Um, and I think it was interesting because I didn't expect it to be, uh, but seeing, you know, your colleagues face to face for the first time is really meaningful. And I think we're probably underestimating the degree of isolation. Um, and where that's showing up in um, you know, our surveys is just mental health. Uh, and we've, we're generally seeing people as productive than ever before, but you know, almost 25% more people are reporting that there's a risk of them feeling burnt out. And I think a lot of it is related to this um, this gap in our human connection. So as we're going back to work, I think for me in the short term, it's less about the work and more about reestablishing all those connections and teams. Do y'all use uh, the donut bot or anything like it? We do. I've met some of our employees on donut. <laughs> it's been pretty fun. It's, it's, I don't know if it's a service or something, but there's a Slack bot. And if people are in the same channel, it'll randomly pair you. And it's kind of nice actually to just have like 30 minutes where a lot of times I do it where we just agree not to talk about work and just to get that, know that person a little bit more. And um, yeah, I, I, I was surprised by how nice that's been. Um, but it is a little awkward in that it's like pre-scheduled. <laughs> One question I want to ask uh, is to ask Stuart, you know, what we've seen in lieu of people being in the office is some virtual sort of skeuomorphic office you know, avatar type software emerge, things like Pragly, where like you you look on screen, you see the like little desks and little bobbing avatars, almost like turntable FM, but for work, where you see everybody's little face and you can like tap on them to instantly talk to them. And, it, you know, it's really trying to visually create you know, the graphic user interface of an office, but in a 2D environment. You know, how have you guys seen those things? Do you think that those things are effective or are they just kind of like, you know, recreating the office in, rather than thinking about how work needs to evolve. So I haven't spent that much time looking at them, but I am pretty confident that there must be at least 500 startups that um, kind of arose in response to the challenges of remote work. And definitely some of them will have really cool ideas and some of them will be really successful. And also a lot of software companies um, who have productivity or collaboration apps will make changes and, and improvements. I think about this a lot, though. Uh, one of my favorite essays 
um, about tech is called Office Messaging and Verbs. It's by Ben Evans. That's enough for you to Google it. And he talks about um, humans' habit to like recreate the same way of doing things with new technology until at some point you realize there's a new way to do things that's based on the new technology. And the example that he uses is a triplicate carbon paper expense form that you filled out on a typewriter becoming recreated inside of Microsoft Word, but it's exactly the same form. And then that becoming a Windows app and being exactly the same form. And then that becoming a web app, but still being exactly the same form. And then finally someone realizes, hey, we can take a picture of the receipt and then just OCR the text out of it and auto-populate all this stuff. So this is like one trivial example, but the discontinuity can be really great if you look at a slightly larger time frame, like the writing of checks and the armored cars that used to do the exchanges for the banks up to, to Venmo. What I'm getting at is I think it's unlikely to be um, a spatial representation that's, that's the best way of um, facilitating interaction between people. We need to take advantage of the technology in the best possible way. So here's one thing that I'm really interested in right now is there are meetings for which the grid of you know, video feeds of people's faces is actually pretty good. And there's a lot where it's not very good. And would it be better if we were like cartoon avatars in a um, virtual space? Maybe, but maybe the alternatives are actually pretty different and um, should be based around a much richer sense of presence, but specifically what people are working on. So, you know, Brett brought up the earnings call. I remember the week before I'm sitting in a conference room and there's the head of IR and there's the head of comms and we're like line editing the prepared remarks. And meanwhile, the finance team is there and they have Excel and the financial system and they're debating which metrics um, are most important to include. And then there's the admin staff who are making cheat sheets of all the stats so we can use them on analyst calls and everyone's like talking back and forth and stuff like that. So would a grid of video squares of people's faces be a good overlay to facilitate that kind of work? Obviously not. But um, being able to look at some sort of representation, some sort of avatar of a person, and see which docs they have open and which one they're looking at right now, so you can pop into that doc and work with them on it when um, when you're working really closely with a, a, a group uh, in that like highly collaborative real-time sense. I think we can do, like, eventually, I think we can do better than physical presence for getting eight people to work together in real time on solving a customer issue or launching a website or responding to a, a network operations incident or, you know, like, whatever it is that people have to, have to do and have that kind of high degree of coordination, we will invent new ways of, of doing that that are better. But since I'm already talking, I want to go back one thing all the way, like rewind all the way to the, near the very beginning. Jen brought up um, Thanksgiving and the eager anticipation people have. And then the, you know, kind of I'm done with this feeling by Friday, uh, by Thursday evening. I just try to be an optimist. One of my hopes is if you think about you're going on vacation in three weeks and you're like, Brett's word was intentional. You're like trying to figure out how to pack in this museum and you want to make sure you have time to sit on the beach and read a book and you've always wanted to go eat at this restaurant or whatever. Um, and then you think about work. It's like, okay, it's 7.30 and so I'm leaving to go on my commute and I don't think about what I'm going to do at all. Like there's just like zero thought about how to optimize that time. So when I think inevitably at least a large portion of the population starts to work the way Matt was describing, where we get together in 
Hawaii for a whole week at once, um, there will be better use of that time, you know, and, and like concentration on the things that are best done face-to-face. And that absolutely includes trust building. But I think it also, for a lot of cases, it's the kind of collaboration and planning and deciding what we're going to do. And then the actually doing it part, it's better for people to have the flexibility and the option to, to live where they want. Um, and I'm skeptical about snapping all the way back because I just think it's, people have relationships and people who have now spent a year with their kids growing up, I think are, are transformed in how they think about how they want to live their life. Even people who really love their pets. I know that might sound like it's kind of silly, but if you used to have a hellish commute and now you have a comfortable house and you like hanging out with your cat um, and you can still go to the office whenever you want and see people and hang out, like why wouldn't you take that? Why, why, who would want to be required to go to the office five days a week, nine to five? I think zero percent of the population. So speaking of requirements, one question I wanted to ask everyone was their opinion on vaccine mandates for returning to the office and whether that's something that you guys are going to you know, require or sternly ask or, you know, politely ask or just like hope they do uh, in, in order for people to come back to the office. And maybe Zainab, maybe you could start us off with a, a little bit about the context of, you know, the, the global demand or what you're seeing around uh, companies and, and your contacts in whether companies are going to demand vaccines uh, for their employees. So there's a bunch of interesting twists here. One of them is the current vaccines are still uh, emergency uh, use authorization. So I think mandates will probably not be possible for a while, but this will move, right? Because they are they were approved uh, after trials, but uh, in an emergency basis, which means they still have to do the safety follow-up and the, the, the safety profile is looking excellent. So it's going to happen, but it might not happen before we open up. Like you might not be able to mandate vaccines that are not uh, officially approved, but just emergency approved. So the second thing here is um, globally, like vaccine passports, there's a lot of complications to that because there's this enormous inequity. Like if you start requiring them to travel, which I think some countries are going to do, the question will be, you know, do you just create new divisions and a new kind of segregation, which probably will happen. And that's terrible. And we should try to not have that happen. Nationally speaking, for the United States, it really looks like anybody who wants to get vaccinated will have an opportunity probably sometime in May. Now, let's say June, if you have certain places. So everybody who wants to get vaccinated is going to have the chance. So at that point, there's two things going on. Um, what risk do the unvaccinated pose to the vaccinated? Right. Question number one. And this is an empirical question. The question number two is what rights do the people who for a sort of a biological reason or something like that cannot get vaccinated. And those are two different things. So in terms of the, um, so right now the CDC still says that if you're hanging out like two vaccinated people and you're low risk, that's not a big deal at all. Uh, If you're hanging out with somebody who's unvaccinated, they don't really, like they haven't completely said it, but it's pretty clear they don't think that's a big thing either uh, because the vaccines have, Um, That's a whole other thing. Like, it's just, I I can't believe how lucky we've been. Yes, I know it's been decades of research and basic science and I'm an academic and I will wave that flag, but 
Yeah, we'd have really lucky. This could have been something like the HIV retrovirus, which is, we don't have a vaccine for that. Or it could have, like, it's not. It's clearly, uh, even the vaccines that aren't as amazing as the ones we have, they're working really well in protecting the person who's vaccinated. So I think that brings the mandate to be slightly less of a concern because if I'm vaccinated, I'm really not terribly frightened of the unvaccinated person, right? I feel like the level of protection individually is quite high. And especially given like the kind of eventually low circulation, it might not be a thing except in places where there are vulnerable populations. So an obvious one is like nursery, lots of nursing um, homes and things like that, because the elderly people have just, it's just they're hard, their immune system isn't as good. So I can see mandates for places like that because you have a concentration of people that you know will have more vaccine failure. In fact, like nursing homes sometimes have common cold outbreaks that kill people, right? Like it's just the immune system as you get older is a problem. So the workplace version of this is like, what if you have somebody who's immunocompromised or for some other reason who cannot get vaccinated so what do you do about that? So that's not the easy one. So, but that's, I think, the, going to be the real question rather than um, mandating vaccines might not be as necessary. And also one thing that is kind of missing from the picture is that the people who refuse to get vaccinated are going to join um, what is going to become some level of herd immunity in an unpleasant way, right? They may get lucky and not have a symptomatic illness, but they're going to, a lot of people who refuse to get uh, vaccinated, they're going to eventually get infected, which will put them on the other side of the equation. So I think this is kind of going to solve itself, except for those people like who are, it's, and it was a problem before too, right? If you have an immunocompromised employee, you know, flu is terribly dangerous for them. The cold can be dangerous for them. So that's the thing where I think we might be looking back into how to make our offices just healthier in general. And that's the part in which I keep, I kept hearing some plexiglass and I was like, no, no, no. Like do not use the plexiglass (laughs) because if anything, it can even impede airflow and create like um, little accumulation areas. Uh, you're much better off figuring out ventilation instead of plexiglass. That's just not really, I might even, there's an outbreak now they're studying where the plexiglass may have actually made things worse by creating obstacles and places where, you know, the aerosols could accumulate. But it might be better for all of us to figure that out because one of the things we're learning now is that we didn't realize how many of our pathogens were some degree of airborne, right? There's going to be a big scientific appending in the next few years. And we're going to be thinking, whoa, why didn't we do this before? So I think we're going to redesign how the air conditioner works. Right now it circulates the air because it's slightly more energy efficient. I think we're going to change those things. There might be very, like, so that we might be doing a lot of things to make the office safer in general without mandating the vaccine, partly because the vaccinated are going to be fairly protected without the mandate. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I personally think that, that that's really important. I liked not really getting sick a lot this year, a lot less than most years, but because I just wasn't around as many, you know, many people touching as many hands and doorknobs. And I would love that, you know, what we, that we don't go back and while we might be safe from COVID that we're still getting sick with other things. But with that, I want to ask Matt, Brett, Jen, Stewart, you know, what are you guys thinking around vaccine mandates or how heavily you're going to be asking or requiring employees to have those before you go back? at least for people who can get a vaccine health safely. Yeah, one thing uh, Zainab said that's been weighing very heavily on me is, you know, a plus side of being totally distributed for so many years is I have colleagues in 77 countries. The downside is that some of these countries look like they're not going to have access to the vaccine until well into next year. Um, So I think travel, I mean, visas were already an issue before. I think it's going to be very tough to get the whole company together like we used to once a year probably for a while. And then I worry about, you know, countries where we can do meetups, then that creating kind of that second class is for people where they can't join. I was just going to say, um, we're actively encouraging all of our employees to get vaccinated and, you know, where we can actually helping, you know, uh, helping our employees figure out where they can get vaccinated, but we won't be requiring it to go back to the office. Will you be tracking it at all? I mean, like, I mean, are asking people about their vac, you know, whether they're vaccinated or not? Uh, we're just following basically local legal and health guidelines and all that. And uh, obviously those are quite different all around the world. I don't even know if you can ask or if it's like a health thing, a HIPAA thing. Jen and Stewart, what about you guys? We're in the same place, I think, as Brett and Salesforce. And uh, we do have a pretty distributed company from an international perspective as well. Um, one of the things that yeah, you know I really wrestled with was there was a point in time when even some of my exec team wanted to get together and some of the exec team did not feel safe to get together. So we chose not to. So as not to exclude part of the team because we felt like that would be worse than the relief of just a few people getting together. So I do think like this trying to find a a level playing field, that's going to be one of the biggest challenges coming going forward. So one thing you could ask is ask people if there's like even a compromise or some issue that prevents them from getting vaccinated and they maybe they need extra precautions where they work in terms of ventilation or mask. You can mandate masks interacting with them. So that's a way to get around the, Keep a problem and not asking people for sure. vaccination, but just the, you know, finding the people higher at risk and mandated higher precautions around them. That seems both clever and like empathetic to, you know, actually ask people if they need help rather than saying like, you know, trying to, you know, sneakily figure out if they're, they are vaccinated. Yeah, my, my understanding is you can, I mean, at least for tests, I mean, obviously employers can ask for tests, but if, if an employee can't take a test for some reason that is disability related, you can't ask that many questions because it may introduce, you know, some concern about disability bias. Uh, for Slack, I, I doubt that we would um, require people to, but I also just don't think that people are going to be all that interested in, um, in coming to the office until we bend some magic corner and it just seems a lot safer. Because it doesn't matter if you know if everyone is vaccinated um, in the office, or you know if less than ninety percent, let's say, or if most people are got herd immunity, it's R point oh five or something like that. And then it it's, it really by the time 
you would be in a position to mandate that people do it, I think it's going to matter a lot less. And, you know, at a personal level, I think we don't need to indulge the lunacy of people who are anti-vaccine. Like, that's just, that, that's much more of a personal position than a... I want to ask uh, another final question, but first I want to go through some of the incredible takeaways that people have uh, given us today on the call. Uh, if you guys want the recording of this, it'll be available at constein.club. Uh, that's constein, my last name, dot club. And you can also get the recording for last week's show with Mark Zuckerberg and the CEOs of Spotify and Shopify, as well as the previous one on the future of newsletters with Ben Thompson from Stratechery and a bunch of the top newsletter writers. Uh, but yeah, so I want to w- look at some of the top things that we, we heard today, you know, wondering, you know, what is it that's going to happen when people actually go back to the office. And the idea is that we really need uh, remote employees to not feel like they're secondhand citizens, as Matt was talking about. And, you know, uh, in terms of what's actually going to make that possible, you know, we may need more scheduling software for things like desks and conference rooms to make sure that if you do have these hybrid programs where several, where people come back maybe a few days a week, they don't all come back on the same days. Uh, you know, otherwise you're going to have just pandemonium in the office. Uh, and we talked a little bit about Jen saying we need to be able to continue to create traditions, you know, Offsite karaoke's and things like that, and how do you still include remote employees so they're not uh, forgotten? But you know, as, as Matt discusses with us, you know, we we might want to be you know remote forty weeks of the year, but still have those times, maybe not even in a traditional office where everyone can get together and collaborate, and that you know being in an office or being with your coworkers doesn't mean just sitting on your laptops next to each other. Uh, and Brent talked about that intentional design of a culture, and you know things like having one camera per person, even if people are in the office. That way, everyone's on a level playing field still. Um, and Stuart talked to us about that, you know, if, if you don't uh, actively move towards better asynchronous documentation and make it easy, you know, make it actually easier than just doing a 30-minute meeting, people will take the easy road, road. Rather than documenting what their decision-making process and reading everyone else's documentation, they'll just sign up for the meeting and everyone becomes less productive for that. And, and that's why we need better asynchronous communication tools. And that's why it was amazing to hear that, uh, that Stuart revealed that there is a beta of Slack's asynchronous audio messages as well as Slack stories, you know, similar to the Snapchat format. So really looking for Snap, mm-hmm. looking forward to Snap Slack. Uh, I think we've had some 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 heated reactions on Twitter about that, but excited to actually see what that's like because I think people are so used to that form of collaboration and, and communication at this point. Uh, and Matt gave us his sort of five stages uh, of being hybrid and, and, you know, that each company is going to have to pick which one works for them and maybe not just for the entire company, but for different teams. You know, zero is everyone having to be in person. And one is that you know, the, the tools for actually working remotely were pretty mediocre. You know, the level two is that you're recreating the office, which is really just worse than even being remote uh, or, or just being in office with, you know, eight hours of Zoom and being a lot less effective. You know, the level three is that distributed with adopting tools to make things better, real-time notes, sped up meeting recordings. And then four is going like completely asynchronous and being able to be distributed all around the world. And he thinks that teams firing on all cylinders on level four are going to be better and, and more productive than anything else. Uh, and we talked a little bit about whether people are going to snap back right at the end of this. Uh, you know, as Zainab was telling us, you know, people do adapt fast. They can get stuck in like a local optima, but I think people are more adaptive than we realize. And people are really looking forward to getting back. You know, uh, 
Brett told us that Gen Z employees at Salesforce were 2x more interested in being at the office than uh, than, than the baby boomer generation, uh, and that Salesforce is actually very close to opening up the SF office. Um, and when we talked to talked about surveys, you know, you can survey employees to figure out what they want. That's a great way to get a high level understanding of what they're interested in. But that's just going to be based on what they already know. And if they haven't experienced a great hybrid system, or they've been dealing with their kids being at home this whole time while they try to remote work and how much complication that can add when schools aren't open, it could color their perception. So don't just listen to the surveys. She's really advocating for experimenting with you know parallel teams and different cohorts with randomization to see what actually makes people more productive. Um, and you know, Brett told us that 25% of people say that they're more at risk of burnout uh, by working from home all the time, even if they are more productive. And we talked a little bit about whether we're going to see skeuomorphic you know, representations of the office, little avatar-based systems. Uh, and you know, Seward said that it's unlikely to be a spatial interface, but the ability to look at somebody else's avatar and know what they're working on when you're in a close team so you can jump in and collaborate on, on a moment's notice can be really valuable. And, and we need to think about you know, how, what actually does go better in a physical presence rather than just saying like, you know, indiscriminately a certain amount of time gets spent in the office and certain doesn't, but which activities warrant going to the office and which don't. Um, and when it came to vaccinations, you know, we, uh, Salesforce says that they're actively encouraging them and even helping people find them. Uh, and Zainab talked about that, you know, while vaccinations can be great, you could potentially ask people about if they need extra precautions rather than asking if they're vaccinated to get a sense of not whether they're vaccinated or not, but just whether you're going to need people to wear masks around them or have even more intense air circulation systems around them. But I think overall, the idea is that things like plexiglass and some of those kind of yeah COVID response theater are not the way forward. It's about better air ventilation, better scheduling so people aren't all in the office at the same time and making sure that remote employees aren't you know, at the, you know, a, a second class citizen when they're working together. Um, but with that, I wanted to ask one last question of everybody, which is, you know, what is something that you haven't been able to do because you've been remote that you're really excited to get to do together with your team? And maybe Matt, you could start us off. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> I just think seeing people is, uh, is going to be very, very exciting. Our Kind of like what Jen said, our our meetups are kind of like family reunions, and even people who you might not uh, enjoy being by every single day, when you see them one a week or two weeks a year, it's really really fun. Uh, the thing I'm most hoping to continue that we started in the pandemic is probably the donut chats, like just being able to randomly connect with uh, different colleagues. I think has built a lot of um, a lot of uh, closer ties throughout the organization, where you know across. Uh, hierarchies and organizational lines, I think has been really great. Yeah, I love the idea of like, you know, just disrupting that clickishness by creating those one-on-ones. Because I found when I did that with my team, I got so deep with people and it was really nice. And it gives you such a deeper context for working together, having each other's back in those tough moments. Uh, Brett, maybe you could give us your opinion on on what you're excited about getting back to or what you've been missing uh, that you think is going to be helpful to restore once you're getting to go back to the office a little. I'm looking forward to the unscheduled conversations, like, you know, the ones where you're walking out of a meeting and the conversation turns into, you know, a 30 minute brainstorming session. I think one of the, the things missing for me right now is just how formally scheduled interactions have to be when they're digital. Um, it's better with tools like Slack, but it's still, you know, those casual, you know, conversations in the hallway is what I'm really missing. Jen, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Stuart, we'll get back to you in a second. I'm looking forward to the ability uh, to be able to just demonstrate my gratitude to my team and to our employees and even our customers. I feel like I can do that better in person than I can 
through a thank you note or an email or a Zoom and just uh, giving them that sense of deep appreciation for their commitment. And I think that the two things that I want to continue post-pandemic is our team really built this great muscle around leading with empathy, like listening to where a customer is at, listening to where our coworker is at and going from there, as opposed to like starting with their agenda. And that really came through a lot of intentional coaching and, and, um, you know, sort of pushing people to think that way. And then secondly, we've killed PowerPoints and we're really trying to, um, diffuse the meeting culture. And we've done that by getting people to write asynchronous narratives and doing, uh, you know, doing the hard prep to Stuart's point, as opposed to just eating the candy in the meetings. And that's been, I think, a great discipline for us to start to build. Justin, what about you? Yeah, uh, for things that I can't wait, um, I just I just can't wait for the energy in the office. Um, I miss you know being around the team and just kind of you know celebrating wins um, is is so much better uh, in person. And you know I agree with Brett. The serendipity is um, uh, everything. It, you know those in between moments of conversations, um, things that uh, I don't want to um, uh, forget that we've learned during the pandemic is. Um, you know, one is um, how much more we focus on our team's mental health and provide, you know, resources for our team. Um, you, you know, uh, I've been building companies for, you know, the better part of a decade, and I, I've never seen this much focus on supporting, you know, individuals um, with coaching and therapy. And, um, you know, I want that to continue. Um, and then uh, I agree with Jen, like more, more writing, um, you know, and, and asynchronous communication um, has been really, really valuable for, for our team and, and a lot of our clients. What about you, Zainab? Well, uh, again, I'm the academic here, so it's going to be a little uh, different. But on the positive thing, I'll, of course, say the serendipity, because that's just obviously uh, true for everyone. And another positive thing is the inclusiveness. Like there's a lot of conferences now we hold where we've been just letting people in you know, from all over the world, even if they're not in the room. Uh, and in the past, those people, if they couldn't get a visa, if they couldn't afford the travel, they just wouldn't be there. So that like inclusiveness of opening up our academic events, I think has been just excellent. Uh, and we should keep some of that going forward for sure. For me, of course, I'm, I'm I like the thing I do when I'm not doing the kind of work I'm doing is go places and observe things. Like before the pandemic, I spent most of 2019 in going back and forth to Hong Kong, where there's a big social movement and they had digital tools and all of that. So like I went from that to, you know, just being stuck within a three mile radius of my home. So this is going to sound really weird, but in the middle of it, my landlord, who's an expat person in Mexico, decided to try to evict me, which didn't work. I won my court case. So I had to go to court and I was happy. I was somewhere else where I could actually observe what was going on in eviction courts. So I'm kind of like, yeah, this is like this is a bit of cabin fever when I'm like, uh, when I won my court case and I was like, I hope he appeals. So I'll go back. <laughs> I'll get to sort of see more of the actual world because like there's a way in which clearly we um, filter ourselves through our screens and Zooms. That's just not like I don't get a sense of certain things that I would have just by being there in the moment. And I'm really missing that. And I think that's true for whatever people are doing 
If we, it, it goes back to what we were talking about. When you talk about the survey, you ask people, you know, check a box. You don't really get it. But if you were just talking to them, there's so much more information and feeling and that connection there. So uh, I hope I get to do that without, you know, going back to eviction court. <laughs> so <laughs> Only you know, a, a year inside could make us long to be in the courtroom. Kimai, what about you? You know, it's funny. I mean, the last time or you there like the right before the pandemic started, we did our annual offsite. Um, it was really lovely, like beach offsite. And it was, you know, our team has been hybrid for a long, long time. Um, you know, our, our COO actually lives in New York and comes in, um, you know, frequently to the West Coast. And so there, you know, we have multiple offices. And so that offsite is the one time of year that we, or one of the few times of the year that we get everyone together and it's both like bonding and, and work. Um, so you know, we went and did that. And then almost immediately when we got back, everything shut down. And so I know that I personally am excited to do that again, whenever we get the opportunity to, um, because we've hired many more people, um, you know, many, some, some of whom who are on the other side of the country and I've, I've gotten to interact with them, you know, virtually, but not in person. So, um, you know, just to have that, I'm looking forward to that experience when we can all be together in one one place. And Stuart, why don't you uh, why not you bring it home with a uh, with what you're missing uh, and excited to get back to? Um, I'll keep this one simple. It's eating with people, you know, breaking bread, sharing a meal. We're animals at the end of the day, and there's something very primal and important in, in relationship building there. Um, I will also just say, for the record, um, if the Department of Justice and its infinite wisdom sees fit to approve of this um, merger, then Brett will be my boss. Hey, Brett, I'm not coming into the office <laughs> every day. Just to, like, just to be totally clear, like there's there's zero percent chance of me doing that. I actually have your uh, nine to five cubicle lined up. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with a with a dog that cute, it's going to be hard to get him out of the out of home. Stuart and I have never been in person together through this entire process, believe it or not. So. Wow, that's true. That's amazing that these enormous deals can that's happen amazing. even without people have, having ever met. I know the thing that I'm personally so excited for is just that sense of release at the end of the day when you actually feel like you're done, when you and your coworkers can look at each other and say we accomplished something and that you can feel that natural end to the workday. Because I think so many people work themselves ragged and a lot of that burnout comes from us just feeling like we never are really sure when we're done with work, when you're just going from the good screen to the bad screen at the end of the day. Uh, it'll be nice to actually physically move. And so with that, I'm just so thankful to each of you for joining us today, for sharing your incredible insights, for sharing your optimism and your excitement about how we're going to come back, for sharing uh, your your strategies and, and being role models for how other companies are going to think about going back to the office. And so it means a lot to me that you guys would join us here on Press Club. Uh, I know you could do anything else. You could speak on your own blogs. You could go on any show, but to come here and talk directly live with an audience who really does care about these things, it means a lot to me. So thank you all for being here today on Press Club. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first time and you've eased me into it. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh.
Thank you. To my, uh, thanks for being an incredible co-host today. You were awesome putting this together and Brett for being our sort of anchor speaker and getting things started for us. If you guys want the recording of this show, if you want takeaways, some of the best quotes and big news that was dropped today, you can go to constine.club and we'll be releasing that recording basically just as soon as I can upload it and get it uh, get it edited uh, with an incredible team, including Mia Shaw, uh, Justin Chang, uh, and a bun- Paul Bear from uh, from Pear Sounds and uh, all the incredible other people who have helped us, like Austin Hollick at constine.club who's running Spore.gg um, and Ronan V who's helped with the NFT stuff and especially to Amrit P. Singh who's uh, created this amazing portrait uh, of Matt which is now we're now auctioning off uh, giving 20% to charity so if you guys are interested that's available on Foundation right now but otherwise I'm just really excited to get to you know, talk about this and to finally feel like we see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, it's it's really exciting after such a year without that spontaneous collaboration that I think really fuels the industry that we all love so thanks again for me, Josh Constein. If you're building something interesting at the at the intersection of the future of work and remote work, we would love to hear about it at SignalFire. We're investing seed to Series B uh, and have a lot of awesome resources that we can provide to help with recruiting. We helped make a thousand candidate intros to our companies last year, and we're funding a bunch of stuff in the remote work and, and the future of work. So we'd love to hear about what you're building out there. But otherwise, yeah, go to Constein.club, check out the recording, get the one from last week with Mark Zuckerberg or the previous one on the future of newsletters, and join us again next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Thursdays, where we bring together journalists, experts, and subjects of the news to discuss the big stories, the big themes, the big people of the week. It means the world to me that you would spend your time here on Press Club with us. All I really do care about is honoring your ears, making sure that it feels like time well spent. So thanks again for joining us on Press Club, and we will catch you again next week. I'm Josh Constein. Thank you again to all of our wonderful speakers. Farewell. Farewell.